0: Church on the Hill. Good morning. I'm glad to be here today. My name is Stephen Kilgore. I pastor Revive Church in Arlington, right next door. And um, I, just, I want you to know kind of the feel of what, why I'm here. I am the redheaded stepchild of Church on the Hill. I've been a part of this family for years. You just didn't see me because I, I, while I am Pastor Adams, while he claims me, he doesn't let me out of the back room too often. And so... Now that he did today, I have some freedom. he said, and uh, I want to preach this morning on a message that i 've titled "Blame It on Jesus." If you have your Bibles, you can go to John chapter five, and while you 're turning there, I just want to give honor to your pastor and his wife and miss jamie, if you 're watching, God bless you, we love you i 'm so glad that you 're watching online and she she uh, uh, put some Instagram stuff up, says she was watching and Man, oh man, I'll tell you what, if you're a first-time guest or you're a returning guest here and you're looking for a church home, you are directly in the place where you need to be. This church is one of the best churches in DFW. You have the best pastors. These people are authentic. I'm not just saying that because they gave me a platform. I, I tell that to people. When they tell me I'm looking for a church, if they say our church is not the church for them, we say drive over to Cedar Hill and check out Church on the Hill because I'm telling you, who your pastors are, who your leadership is from the platform is who they are behind the scenes. That's exactly who they are. They are authentic, they are genuine, they're caring. He does not put on a front, man, I'll tell you what, they love you. And so I just wanna tell you, your home, just make the decision, go through the grow track, get in a small group, serve, whatever you gotta do, but make this your home, it is the best. Oh, and start tithing too, tithe, that's good. Uh, as a pastor, you gotta throw that in, it's just one of our things. Uh, but I just want wanna thank Pastor Adam and Jamie especially. Um, when we first started our church I had three years, we planted our church, no covering, no money, no nothing, we just had a dream. God said, go start a church, do church differently. And so we did that. And I didn't have a pastor for three full years. I had nobody I could go to and say, hey, will you pray with me? I need some wisdom, I need some help. And Pastor Adam found me like a redheaded stepchild on the side of a road. And uh, he took me in, and he's just been blessing me ever since. And so I really, I honor and respect him. And so to be able to be on this platform, I don't take this lightly. It is an honor to be a part of this family, this Church on the Hill family, and it's an honor to preach here today. So thank you so much. And I can't, I can't get into this message without talking about how awesome my wife is, too. I want to introduce you to my family. They got a picture they're going to put up. That is my one-year-old daughter. Man, she's beautiful. She's amazing. My wife is so hot. She's a, I just, I mean... God. You ever, some guys feel like this where you're like, I don't know why they married me. I feel like that sometimes. She could have done so much better, but she chose me. I confused the heck out of her. One day she was just up at a, on a stage and she's like, I do? And uh, the rest is history. And so we're really glad, but no, my daughter is beautiful. I got to apologize to the parents though. I found out my daughter is doing her thing in the nursery. Apparently she is raising up a baby army. Uh, she is a natural born leader. Apparently, she's telling kids where to go and where things go. She's already running things. So I apologize ahead of time. It's, it's a redhead thing. If you don't have a redhead, you don't know what it's like. But uh, anyway, hey, let me get into this message this morning. Um, I want to preach this, this message. I've tried to blame it on Jesus. Uh, and uh, Cohen just reminded me of a story that I told to the Ezekiel Project summer camp. And I, I thought I would share this story. Man, one of my favorite moments as a teenager, and uh, who's here from EP? Yeah, EP in the house? Okay, y'all listen real close. Okay, I'm about to tell this story. This is going to save your life right here. Just save your life, okay? So when I was 16, my parents made the stupid mistake of buying me a Ford Mustang, okay? Now, here's the reason why, though. Because I was that geeky, white, red-haired, braces, big, red frame glasses kid who couldn't get a date. So you're either going to be ugly with a nice car or you can be sexy with a a beater car. You know what I'm saying? So my parents were like, we're going to help you out so you can get a date. So they bought me this Ford Mustang. And I'm driving this Ford Mustang everywhere. And I remember this one night, we were uh, driving around after church. We were trying to find a basketball court because I like to hang out with my black friends and play basketball. It made me feel like I was part of the crew. I couldn't play basketball at all, but I'd just hang out with them. They were really good. I was not at all, but I just felt good about watching them play, you know? Uh, and so we, we were hanging out and we're, we're, we're driving around town and we're trying to find a basketball court that's free. And I mean, it's like 1130 at night, it's dark. And one of our friends, he had a Ford Mustang as well. Now I had a Ford Mustang V6. If you're not a car person, that's totally fine. I'm not really either, but I just explained to you. V6 is just a regular engine in a Ford Mustang, but he had a Ford Mustang GT. GT's got that powerful muscle behind it. I mean, you could just drop, you floor it, it just goes. And um, uh, he he was this kid, this little Asian kid, and. I'll never forget, his name was Minwin. I love Min Win. I don't know where he is in life right now, but Min Win was the man. And he had this little, uh, uh, this big Ford uh, uh, Mustang GT. And so we're at this stoplight, and Min Win pulls up right next to me. And he could barely see over the steering wheel, but he turns his head to me, and he's like this, and he starts revving his engine like he wants to race. Listen to me. Don't give in to the temptation. It's not worth it. So I'm there, and I, I've got my little V6, you know, and, and, I, and I put it in neutral, and I rev my engine, and my engine's like, and his engine is going, you know. And I'm ready. I'm, I'm doing it. And here's the thing, though. I'm going to just help you. Don't ever do this. Okay, don't ever do this. But it really doesn't matter the type of car you have if you don't know how to drive it. You know what I'm saying? Win did not know how to drive his Ford Mustang GT. I knew how to drive my V6. And so when the light turned green... I pushed my pedal and he had a manual. He didn't know how to shift gear. So he's trying to come out of first gear and the second gear. He got stuck. I had an automatic. I turned overdrive off and just went at it. And so I am beating Min Win. Min Win's in his GT. He's way back there. Loser. And I'm all the way, I'm two miles down. Here's the thing though the basketball court we were coming to was very close. It was just the next stoplight. I'm going about 110 miles in a residential area. Killing men, win though. Men, win is left in my dust. But I'm going after it. And I thought I needed to slow down and get into the left lane because I thought the light was coming sooner than it was. I made the mistake, though, because there was a left turn in the middle of the median that pulled into a residential area. And in that median was a sign, that sign that said there's a median right here. Do not enter. So I pull left thinking I'm going to hit the left turn light, and in front of me is this big sign that says, Do not enter. And I knew we were going to hit it. I'm going like 100 miles an hour, and my friend, thankfully, is in the passenger seat. He's screaming, Kilgar! Kilgar! And I veered that car over as fast as I could, hit the curb. By the grace of God, we did not flip over. That is the only thing that kept us from flipping over. Hit the curb, broke my rim, broke the tire, the alignment was messed up, and so, don't ever do this. Don't ever do this. We went and played basketball anyway. I don't know what we were thinking. Here's where the story gets real raw and real bad, though. The next morning, I go home. Whew. My mom was crazy, and I knew it was coming. She woke me up from the garage. Steven, come on, get your butt out here right now! Because that Mustang was ruined. I got in there, I said, Mom... You won't believe what happened. (laughs) Me and Jonathan, we were driving down Mayfield, and out of nowhere, I got hit with a sneeze attack. It was the worst sneeze attack. I was like, and I couldn't stop it, Mom. I'm so sorry. And and as I'm sneezing, Jonathan was trying to grab the wheel, and he he grabbed the wheel, and he hit it real hard to the right just to, you know, keep us on the road. And I was trying to veer it back, and I'm sneezing, and my grip is really hard because I'm sneezing so hard, and he's trying to grip it to the right, and we hit the curb, and I'm so sorry, Mom, but I had a sneeze attack. That's the biggest lie I ever told my parents. And she bought it. I don't know how. My dad walks in, told him the same story. He just looked me up and down. He's like, yeah, uh uh-huh. You know, I never told that story until after my mom passed away because there was no way I was going to let her know the truth. But it's interesting to me how one story can connect with so many people. As I looked out and told that story, some of y'all are on the edge of your seat just waiting for me to crash and get in a hospital and get paralyzed. Y'all are waiting for the worst scenario. Some of y'all are sitting there going, uh-huh, I know exactly what you're doing. I did that too. I wrecked my car. But a story is so powerful sometimes because a story can just connect with so many different people at so many different times. And I want to tell you something, church. As followers of Jesus, there is a power, untapped potential that we have in our lives that we are not utilizing and it's called the power of your story. Revelation 12 says it this way you may have heard this before. It says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. We overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Now, maybe you're new to church, new to the faith thing, new to the Jesus thing, and you're hearing blood of the lamb, and you're like, that is not step five on the grow track. I'm not sacrificing no lambs, bathing in no blood, nothing like that. No, they don't do that here. We don't do that. What this is talking about, it's talking about the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us, the Son of God coming to earth in the form of flesh, dying for our sins. He shed his blood. And now, as Christians, we celebrate that. That's why we sing, oh, the blood of Jesus. We get excited about the blood of Jesus. We'll tell everybody about what Jesus did. But a lot of us, we miss the second part of how they overcame. They didn't just overcome by the blood of the lamb. They overcame by the word, the spoken word of their testimony. And what we like to say is they overcame by the blood of Jesus and the power of their story. You have a story that is powerful, but you're not using it. I want to look at a story in John chapter 5, one of my favorite stories in Scripture. And I want to talk to you about the power of your story. Are y'all following along? You in John 5, all right? If you're not in John 5, it'll be on the screen behind me. You can read along. Verse 1 says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. And here's why. Because an angel would come down at a certain time into the pool and stir up the water, and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, a certain man who was there had an infirmity for 38 years. Somebody say 38 years. Any of y'all 38 years old? you 38? You don't want to admit it. Ladies are like, no, I ain't taking no, no, ta- my hand. No, no. 38 years. That's a long... Who's, over, who's older than 38? Just raise your hand. Be proud of your age. Come on, y'all. Yes, be proud of it. Y'all have lived life. You deserve some honor. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Teach these young bucks something. 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. But while I'm coming, another one steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It's the Sabbath, it's not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Can I just act like I'm at home today? Is that okay? I wanna preach the way that I preach. You know, one of the things is I love to take a story of scripture and I love to put myself in that story and just imagine what it would be like to be there in that moment as this is happening. I like to expound on scripture when I read it because I believe that the Bible is alive. It's not just words on a page, it is alive. And it has so many principles that we can learn from, so many life-giving things. This is is one of those stories right there. You could pull so many different things from this and I've heard it taught so many different times. But there's one specific thing I wanna talk to you about It's the power of your story. This man is lying on his mat for 38 years, 38 years. I don't know how old he actually is. He could have been older than 38, but he had some kind of infirmity for 38 years. That's a long time. Some of you are not even half of 38 years. Some of you are older and you're like, 38 years, yes, it's a long time. It goes by in a blink of an eye. 38 years, he's dealing with the same infirmity. What that infirmity is, I don't know. But I know people who have come to church for 38 years, and they've dealt with abandonment issues. They've dealt with their own infirmities. They're dealing with the same mental issues they've been dealing with. They're dealing with the same memories of abuse. They're dealing with the same sins for 38 years. Okay, I'm sorry. This is a quiet church. I forgot. This is Presbyterian this morning. I apologize. I thought I was in church on the hill. I thought we could just talk real for a second. Is that okay? Come on, you come to church week after week, you come and you tithe, you get in your growth track, you go to your small group, and yet you've been carrying the same infirmity for 38 years. As long as you want to say you've been carrying that same infirmity, that same argument. I've seen husbands and wives, they have the same argument every single month. I'm a pastor, and one of the rules at our church is Pastor Stephen does not do, do marriage counseling, because I'm not a marriage counselor. My marriage counseling is simple. Stop nagging your husband. Start loving your wife. That should solve all the problems. Some of the married couples just looked at each other like, oh, my God, that touched me. Yes, that was good. That's the best advice I've ever. Thank you. I think we just got delivered. Praise the Lord. Oh, thank you. I've I've been there. I don't do marriage counseling at our church. We outsource that stuff because I can't stand it. Because what happens is couples come to me with the same issues every six months. It's a cycle. We give them the solution. We give them the scripture. We pray over them. We're asking the anointing of God to fall. They're weeping in the office. They come back three weeks later. He did the same thing. He said he wasn't going to do it anymore. Same infirmity. Same infirmity same argument, same mindset, same past, same everything. You go through it over and over. This is this man. For 38 years, he had an infirmity. 38 years, he's laying by the pool of Bethesda. And the belief was by the Hebrews that an angel would come by. God would grace them in this moment, in this, this season. And, and he would send an angel to stir the waters. And when the waters begin to stir, the first person, whether you were blind, whether you were lame, whether you were paralyzed, whatever you were dealing with, if you were sick in any way, if you could just get to the water first, you would be healed. And God gives this amazing miracle. And this dude is 38 years in dealing with the same mess. I don't know about you, but if I'm 38 years in to an infirmed state and I'm lying on a mat, I may not be able to get into the pool the quickest but after 38 years, day after day, guess what? I'm going to slowly be inching my way to the edge. Little by little, I'm going to be creeping on the edge. You're going to find me like this. I'm going to be like, come on, come on. Stir it up, stir it up, stir it up, stir it up. As soon as it start, I'm plopping in real fast. Because I got 38 years to find my healing. I'm going to find a way to the edge of that pool and get in that pool. 38 years he's dealing with the same infirmity. Then Jesus shows up. You know what's interesting about this story? I love the fact that the Bible records very specific things. If you're not a Bible scholar, it's okay. You don't have to be. But I'll teach you how to become one very fast. Simply pay attention to the words that the Bible has written. Be very careful not to just skim through Scripture really fast. But notice what is said when the author records what he records. Because here's what it says. It says that when Jesus came to the man... And he saw, he already knew that he had been in this condition. The first element of the power of your story is this. Jesus already knows your story. Hey, heathen in the house, listen to me. Jesus knows you're a heathen. He knows your sin. He knew before you sinned. He knew while you were sinning. He knew after you sin. He knew before you were forgiven. He knew while you are forgiven and he knew after you were forgiven. Jesus already knows your story. You don't have to be ashamed and try to hide your story. He already knows. You don't have to be afraid to go to God and tell him what you're dealing with. You don't have to be ashamed and say, well, God, I sinned this week, and I don't know if I can ask for a blessing. You have the favor of God. Jesus already knows your story. He wants you to come to him. God loves you like a father. No father in the right mind would say, no, you can't talk to me. You sinned. He knows your story. He already knew. Look what it says. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. He already knows your story. So here's the man. 38 years on this mat. 38 years looking straight up. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but I know in my life there's been seasons where I feel like I'm stuck on my back, looking up and watching everybody else get healed, watching everybody else get married, watching everybody else have kids, watching everybody else get the job, I'll sit on my butt and I'll get on my mat, and here's my mat. My mat is Instagram. Let me preach. My mat is Instagram. I'll get on Instagram and scroll through and just see that everybody else is doing better. Oh, pool got stirred again for her. She got engaged. Hallelujah. Fiery emoji. Hallelujah. Scroll through. Oh, he moved and got a mansion. Oh, praise the Lord. That's good. See, pastors are the worst at this. I'll admit it, I'll admit it, I'll admit it. I'm the worst at this. Pastors are the kings of comparison. We follow every other church and act like we're all for everybody. Oh, the church on the hill started two new campuses. Oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Ooh, good for them. Ooh, grow track, praise the Lord. I don't even have a G track. Oh, that's good for y'all, hey. Ooh, praise the Lord. Oh, let me heart that, because if I don't heart it, Pastor Adam's going to know I'm comparing myself to him again. Let me heart, heart, heart. And we comment, oh, there goes Hillsong. Let me comment on how good Brian Houston was this weekend. Let me know. And I just look at everybody else. I'm scrolling through, looking at everybody else, watching them go to the pool and get healed, go to the pool and get their miracle, go to the pool and get their blessing, go to the pool and get their favor, go to the pool and get their love, go to the pool and find their sanity. And I'm stuck here watching everybody just go by. Oh, there they go again. There they go again, 38 years. And when Jesus shows up, he already knew This man had been there for a long time. He already knew. But the amazing part about this is Jesus does not just know your story. Jesus also came to change your story. Because when he shows up, here's the question. He said, do you want to be made well? This this is, to me... I read scripture real basic, and I know y'all, y'all are thinking, this dude is so crazy. Why is he on the floor laying down? Because it's comfortable? Um, I got a point. Just wait. But what's crazy is Jesus asked the man, do you want to be made well? I know this may sound sacrilegious, but when I first read that, I said, Jesus, that's a stupid question. What are you thinking? What, what's the point of this? Do you want to be? Of course he wants to be made well. He's been there for 38 years. Why was Jesus asking that? Because Jesus knew he'd been there for 38 years with the same infirmity. If he ain't got to the pool after 38 years, the question really is, do you actually want to be made well? You've been laying in the same position for 38 years. Do you actually want to be made well? Jesus knew exactly what he was asking. Do you want to be made well? Here's what Jesus is asking. Do you want me to change your story? Or are you happy with the chapter you're stuck on? Some of y'all, you go back to the same book, read the same chapter year after 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 year. Then you share it with somebody else. Then you ask them for the book back just so you can read that chapter year after year after year after year after year. And Jesus said, do you want me to change your story? Do you want me to write a new chapter? And what did the man say? I don't have anybody to help me into the pool can't tell you how many ladies, I love you ladies, but I've heard this too much, I ain't got no man, you don't need no man, ladies, I know you heard me out there, I don't have to look to see, I know you're out there, you don't necessarily need a man, don't use that as an excuse, I don't got a man, that's what his excuse was, as a pastor, man, I love people so much, but I hear so many excuses, do you want to be made well, well, I do, but I don't even have my GED. I never, I never graduated college. I've got too much debt. We've tried having kids over and over. It's just not going to happen. The doctor said, I'm not going to make it. God's abandoned me. Don't you know? Jesus was not asking him, do you want to be made well, to condemn the man or to remind the man of his story. Jesus already knew the story. He didn't need the shimmy on his story. He did not need him to recite the entire chapter. His point was to show him that there was enough faith within him already to see his healing manifest. He just wanted the man to say, yes, I want to be made well, because that's the kind of God that we serve. If you just tell him you want to be made well, he'll make you well. Do you want to be made well? Excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. But when Jesus changed his story, he said, Get up, take your mat, and walk. So the man in faith gets up. Oh, Lord, I'm over 30. All right. He says, Yes, sir. Takes up his mat goes along his way. Now here's what's interesting to me. Jesus normally in these circumstances would not have told him to take up his mat. There's significance in this. Remember, when you read scripture, make sure you're paying attention to everything that's said. He said, get up, take your mat, and walk. Take your mat, and walk. Why was this so significant? Because this mat was this man's best friend for 38 years. This mat was the identification. He didn't have a social security number. He didn't have a driver's license. When people wanted to know who he was, they just looked at his mat. And for 38 years, he had a routine. Sit by the pool, take a good nap, wake up, see the pool stirring, make an excuse as to why he couldn't get there, go back to sleep. Wake up a few hours later, eat a snack, go back to sleep. Next day, wake up when the pool starts stirring, get mad because Joe got in the pool before him and nobody helped him, go back to sleep. Wake up, eat a snack, go back to sleep. He had a routine for 38 years. And here's the thing about routines. You're identified by your mat. People know you by your mat. And I believe it's significant why Jesus had the man get up, not just get healed, but take his mat and walk because of what happens in verse 9. It says when the man picked up his mat and started walking, the Bible records that it was the Sabbath day. Now, maybe you don't know Jewish culture or anything, but the Sabbath day was very significant because the Sabbath is the day where you don't do any physical exertion. You don't work. You don't walk. You don't run. You don't cook. You don't do all kinds of different things. Because it's dishonoring to God. And so the Pharisees are around and the Jews are around. And they see this man getting up, carrying his mat. And he's exerting physical strength. And he's walking around. And here's what they say to him. Don't you know it's the Sabbath? How dare you? How dare you get healed? 38 years this man has not been able to walk. See, religion does not like to celebrate with you. Religion likes to dictate your circumstance to you. They they had a bad attitude because the dude got healed. 38 years he couldn't walk. After 38 years, you're gonna complain because he's walking on the Sabbath. That's why you need to be careful when you see somebody shouting during praise and worship. Don't ask them to hush because you don't know what they just got delivered from. Don't have a religious mindset when somebody's just shouting, thank you, Jesus! Because you don't know what they just got set free from. They could have been dealing with some kind of addiction. And all it took was, all oh, the blood of Jesus. And freedom happened. And they t- he took up his mat. I love that he took up his mat. He walks into the crowd and they said, excuse me, sir. Excuse me. Who, who told you you could walk on the Sabbath? Uh, who told you you could carry your mat? Who? Who told, who? What's his response? He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Can I tell you something? Every time I've had a come up, there's always been somebody waiting to bring me back down. I'm sorry, am my preaching to the wrong church. You've never had one. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You got those friends from high school. They don't they're on their mat on Instagram seeing your joy and they want to bring you back down. He said, "He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk." What's he doing? All he's doing is just blaming it on Jesus. Can I tell you something? You don't have to defend yourself against the Pharisees. You don't have to defend yourself against the religious folks. All you got to do is tell them, blame it on Jesus. Uh, Why do you have that mat? Because it's a representation of the one who told you to get up and walk. Why do you have that mat? So that people will know that God healed you, that God delivered you, that God manifested his miracles in your life. Why does God say take up your mat and walk so that people would challenge you? Here's what we like to do, though. We like to take our mat and put it in the back closet. I don't want folks to know about my mat. I don't want people to know about my mat. If people knew about my mat, if they knew what I had done, oh, my gosh, they wouldn't want me back in church. Pastor Adam would not let me back in if they knew what I had done. We try to hide our mat. You need to carry your mat around and let some people know. Blame it on Jesus. Who in the world told you that you could have a happy marriage after that man abused you? Blame it on Jesus. Who told you that your child could be a straight A student when they were dying in the womb? Blame it on Jesus. Who told you you could walk around with favor when you used to be a crackhead? Blame it on Jesus. Who told Church on the Hill they could start two new campuses when didn't nobody want them in Rendon or Mansfield? Blame it on Jesus. Who told you you could have a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church that worships God. Blame it on Jesus. Who told you you can lead a small group when you're the biggest introvert in the place? Blame it on Jesus. Who told you you could walk around healed when the doctor said you were dying? Blame it on Jesus. Every time somebody says, who told you, you just roll out your mat. Baby, blame it on Jesus. I don't know how else to explain it, but blame it on Jesus. Who told me blame it on Jesus who told me the one the King of Kings the Lord of Lords the Prince of Peace who told me the one who got on that cross who told me the one who was raised from that grave who told me I could be somebody I know you're going to deal with insecurities and let me tell you something EP you're going to have an opportunity for someone to challenge you when you get older remember this day blame it on Jesus blame it on Jesus. You stand in the truth. You're not bound by your infirmity. Who told you that? Jesus. You don't have to have an unhappy marriage. You don't have to hate your spouse. You don't have to deal with that addiction anymore. How do I know? Because I've been through things like that. I know you don't know me, but let me tell you something. I grew up. With people telling me what I would never be. I don't deserve to stand on this platform this morning. I don't deserve to have this place of honor to preach for the Adam McCain. I know y'all take advantage of Pastor, because you're like, you see Pastor Adam every week, Miss Jamie, you're like, oh, they are the best pastors in the world. Your pastor is worldwide, he's known, people love him, they honor him. He is a giant in the church world. I do not deserve to stand behind this pulpit. I do not deserve to be able to honor him. I don't deserve it because when I started my church, a pastor told me my church would fail within the first six months. He said, you have no money, you have no experience, you have no education. All you got is a bunch of teenagers. EP, we started our church with teenagers. Like, Y'all could go start a church if you want to. No, don't do that. Uh, don't do that, don't do that. Literally, we start, I worked at Chick-fil-A, and we just started inviting all the night crew for a Bible study. That's how we started our church. A bunch of 15-, 16-, 17-, and 18-year-olds started our church. They didn't have no money. Their tithe was $5 a month. That was it. That's all they had. And he said, you will fail because of this. He showed up one time to our service. He said, how did it get this good? How did it grow like this? How do you have no debt? Why are you so stress free? How do you preach the way you do? I had no experience. I had no education. I had no one to guide me. All I had was one man telling me it wasn't gonna work out. I looked at him, I said, bro, blame it on Jesus. Blame it on Jesus. Blame it on Jesus. Blame it on Jesus. If you're here this morning, I wanna challenge you. Don't roll up your mat and put it in the closet. You have power in your story. There is power in what you have been through. I know there's some things you do need to keep private. The Holy Spirit will tell you when you need to speak them out. But I want to challenge you, church on the hill, before I I, I get out of here, I, I just... I feel like there's some young people, there's some middle age, there's some older generations here, and you have something so powerful in your past that God set you free from, that God delivered you from, and you've been hiding it, and you've been keeping it a secret because you're ashamed of it. And the truth is, he who set you free sets you free indeed. And when you're free, you are free to share. And I believe there's people in your Place of work, there's people in your school, there's people in your apartment complex, there's people in your neighborhood, you got some family members, and you need to share your story. And when they ask you, How did you get to where you are? you just say, Blame it on Jesus, honey, and you remind them of this If He did it for me, He'll do it for you. If He did it for me, He'll do it for you. Right where you are, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to pray a blessing over you before. I take my seat. God, I thank you for this church, this amazing, amazing church. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that right now, Holy Spirit, you are speaking to these, your people. You're reminding them of the mats they took up, that they stuffed in the back closet. I pray that they would take them out today. I pray they'd get on social media and just hashtag blame it on Jesus. They would share their story, and that story would be so powerful, it would set people free. I pray that, that as they go and these, start these second campuses, God, when people ask, why did that happen? Blame it on Jesus. I thank you, God, that power will come out of their mouths, not just because of what you did on the cross, because you came out of that grave, but God, because you are instituting a level of boldness that they have never experienced to share their story. In
1: the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Amen, thank you Stephen Would you just keep your head bowed for just a moment What a great word And I believe that you have a story You have a story that only Certain people will connect with Or right, let me say it like this That people will connect with That won't connect with me or with someone else You're Matt, if you will As Pastor Stephen shared it today I just want you, as you sit there, say, Lord, help me help me articulate my story, Lord, what you've done for me. Help me get that communicated to people who need me. When Jamie and I lost those three babies in the womb, and I would take their little dead bodies in a Ziploc bag and bring them up to the hospital, it was the most tragic moment for me in my life. And the Lord challenged me one weekend I was in Ohio preaching in a large group of people he said I want you to share that and I was like I can't share that it's too deep it's too painful but I obeyed and as I shared that story couples came flooding up to me after the service and said we're going through the same thing would you pray for us and can I tell you something everyone I prayed for it was amazing weeks, months later I began to get emails we're healed we're we've conceived we went full term you know year and a half later and I just couldn't believe it that my story brought healing to people who were in a similar situation and if I could summarize what I've heard today and that is that you have a story and it will bring life to others and it will be attacked by the religious personalities and you just blame it on Jesus. He did it. I don't know what to tell you. God did it. When I didn't have faith, he gave me faith. When, he, when I didn't have strength, he strengthened me. Father, I pray that every man and woman in our congregation will begin to tell their story. That Lord God, that it would bring life to people that are hurting at work. Lord God, in the neighborhood, Lord God, where they, their favorite restaurant. People that they engage with on social media, they just start telling their story again. And Lord, to end that storyline will be such healing and transformation because the people of the day couldn't get past that Jesus had done something supernatural again and you got the credit that you deserve, Jesus. No man took your credit away from you. And Lord, that's what we want, that every man and woman in this church, well, God, as they tell their story, it'll help others and glorify the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As you got your head bowed and your eye closed, maybe today you say, Pastor, I've got to be honest you guys keep talking about Jesus like, you, like you're best friends with him. And uh, and I don't have that. Well, friend, I'll be honest with you. We, we, we are talking to about him like that. I am best friends with him. Yeah, I fail him. Yeah, I make mistakes. Yeah, I'm sinful. But his grace and his mercy is so gracious, so forgiving, so kind. And it is a wonderful relationship. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, i got to be honest. I don't have that kind of relationship. Friend, don't walk out of this place without that. Maybe you say, Pastor, let me be honest. I used to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ back in the day when I was a kid. But just life happened. I kind of walked away from God. I I feel distant. I feel feel like there's this big chasm between me and God. Friend, I got such good news for you. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He'll accept you as sons and daughters. He'll, He'll bridge that gap between you and God. Bible says that Jesus is the way the truth and the life no man comes to the Father except through him so today if you feel distant from God you don't feel like you're a real Christian in fact if you were to ask yourself this question if I died today where would I go would I be welcome into God's arms or would I be with tears coming down my cheek cast into the lake of fire friend you don't need option two option one is yours you're here today God's tugging at your heart. This is your moment. I'd like to pray with you. I'm not going to call you forward. I don't want to embarrass you. This is a deep, private decision that I want you to make right there in the safety of your seat, right there with you and God. That doesn't need to be pointed out, doesn't need to be brought out, and everybody hooray and all that. That's That's not what this moment is. This is about you making a life decision to follow the living God, to make Jesus your Lord and Savior today with every head bowed and every eye closed you say pastor that's me it's time I'm ready I don't want to live like I've been living anymore I need God to transform my life I'm tired of being that guy on the mat staring up at the ceiling complaining about what why my life doesn't work Jesus is standing right in front of you right now and he's asking you do you want to be healed do you want me in your life will you let me be your Lord and Savior that's the question on the table each and every one of us have either made that decision yes already or if you've made that decision, no, or in that indecisive moment, and this is the day to make the decision. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Pastor, that's me. It's time. I'm ready. I'm ready to become a Christian. I'm ready to follow God. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward, but I do want to pray with you. And I think you need to have the courage to admit it to yourself and admit it to God. And I think you need the courage to acknowledge it um, to your heart so that we can ask God to come into your life. So the step that I'd like you to take next, if you want God in your life, I want you to lift your hand right where you're at and say, Pastor, that's me. You're talking to me. God bless you, sweet love. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Quickly lift your hand. Put it back down. Thank you, sir. Put it back down. Yes, sweet love, I see it. I'm just going to pray with you. No one else is looking. It's me, you, and heaven. This is private. This is deep. And I want to know who I'm praying with. Anyone else? A couple more seconds. Amen. You can put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of repentance. There's nothing magical about the words. What's supernatural is God's been pulling on you. God's been moving and maneuvering your life to get you here to this moment. He's worked all this out for you. Don't you see how he's been guiding you in this? The friends that brought you here, the people that you're engaged with, the folks folks that, uh, that have been talking to you about how much they love God. All this has been God's plan to get you to this moment of decision. And now you're embracing him. And we're gonna seal it with a prayer, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of relationship. In fact, I'm going to get everyone in the audience to pray this out loud. Those of you that lifted your hand, I want you to mean it with all of your heart. Let this be sincere. Let this be real. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, you can do better than that. Jesus, today, I admit I need you. I admit I've sinned and been a sinner. But today, I ask for your forgiveness. I repent of my sins. And I ask you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I promise to serve you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray right now for every man and woman who said that prayer with all sincerity. Lord, that was supernatural. They just come into a relationship with you. Lord, I pray they would sense and feel the peace. The peace that comes from it's good. It's over. It's done. I got you in the palm of my hand. Let them feel and sense that peace. Lord, I pray right now that the joy of their salvation will begin to bubble up, Lord God, that they would realize, you know what? No matter what happens, no matter what happens, when I die, I'm gonna be with him forever. No matter what comes of this life, I'm his son, I'm his daughter. From this point forward, I'm in the arms of God. God, I pray they would have that understanding, that revelation right now. And Lord, when the lies come and the thoughts, you know, and the temptations pull, And they think, oh, that's it, I'm not a Christian, God doesn't love me, he's mad at me. That they would have that revelation of understanding, I am his son, I am his daughter, and nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. And Father, I pray they get back up, dust themselves off, and keep running after you all their days. Lord, we call this as so, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen, amen.